It's Monday. It's morning. It's up With your host, Drew Carey. Could you imagine me a Drew uh, Carey? Wayne Brady. <laughs> Just the whole cast of who, Whose Line Is, who's it, line anyway? is it Anyway? I almost said, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> yeah, we'll get it. Regis in here, too. Why Regis not? and... Um, who who hosted after him? This is important to the podcast. I forget her name. Anyway, welcome to Monday Morning Macabre, the podcast where we talk about spooky, scary skeletons and other macabre uh, subjects. Sending shivers down the spines of listeners everywhere. Today, it's, uh, it's a beautiful Monday morning. It's beautiful. And we just... We have the audacity to do this live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, every single time you hear this, you're just tuning into the right channel on your phone <laughs> or app. These are all live, and you're very lucky. Yeah, a red light turns on in our room, and every time someone yeah. starts it, we have to start yeah, over live. We have to run to the mic and go, uh, uh, Monday. It's Monday. It's uh, morning. Octung, octung. <laughs> um, welcome to Monday Morning Macabre, Scones and Darcy, for another edition, a new edition of Getting Creepy With It. Today, Scones will be delivering the store. Actually, before we get to that, yes. Uh, quick shout out to everyone who's been reviewing. Uh, I've seen a couple new reviews. We appreciate it. Everyone's oh, been very nice. Best. It's a huge shout out to RDG Tattoo because they made an insanely cool art piece. They made, yeah. a, 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 I, I guess you can call it fan art, but I yeah, mean, they they took our logo and kicked it up a notch. It yeah, was they made a super cool tattoo, like old school tattoo looking art work. And the fact that anyone like is not annoyed by what I do enough to make a cool tattoo of yeah, the it, that's that I, the best feeling in the world. Exactly. The fact that somebody was like, I enjoy this enough to make something is mind-blowing. So huge, huge, huge thank you to RDG Tattoo. Go follow on Instagram. Really, really cool stuff. And shout out to everybody who is leaving reviews and rating and all that good stuff. That's, uh, that's enough preamble. On to the amble, scones. We're at the amble, so... Scones is going to be bringing us a spooky, a spooky tale today. Of course, yes, I am. Of course, so yes. this one I found. I came across. You know, we're here at the Macabre headquarters. Yeah, we're in a volcano at the big <laughs> office, and you know, this one came across my desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is case file four four eight four three six. Yes, an intern number four four eight four three six brought it to me. We have a lot of interns here we that work for us. The, we're very powerful. <laughs> yeah, we're the largest hiring. We make the LinkedIn top five places to work every year. So Every year. Shout out to LinkedIn for that. Free ads. <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn. People have it. That's it. <laughs> LinkedIn. I, uh, don't put anything about your personal life. LinkedIn. Wear a suit and smile. <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> Most of the time, though, it's just you at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn. Who can pay for headshots? So, <laughs> what do a state senator, a hitman, a serial killer, and a reverend all have in common, Darcy? Uh, they're all in the same political party. <laughs> oh, we're going there. <laughs> I don't know, Scones. What? They're the top suspects for a mass <laughs> murder of. <laughs> okay, so of a family of, for eight people. Okay, so eight people were murdered one night. These are the suspects. This is Monday Morning Macabre. Now you said, okay, let's backtrack. We said state senator, hitman, 
and two other things. A reverend. A reverend. And a serial killer. And a serial killer. My Okay. See, the serial killer like is? In the, <laughs> okay, this is like the horror movie where it's, it's like, like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Uh, you got a hitman and a serial killer, but it turns out that they're like, oh, no, we changed our ways back in the day. Yeah. And now turns we out, like. It's like Clue. They're all yeah, in on it. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Okay. So they're, they mur- so, some, somebody murdered a family of eight people, you say? So let's go to the town. Please say it's not John and Kate. Of No, it's not. Okay. Can you imagine? That would be nuts. I was like, this happened yesterday. <laughs> John and Kate minus eight. Velisca, Iowa. Velisca. How do you spell Velisca? V I L L I S C A. Velisca, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Okay. In ni- the year 1912. Oh, so this, this is, is like old. a long time ago. Yes, yes. Which you'll see plays into why yeah. it's unsolved. It's funny because when you say hitman and then say 1912, like my brain doesn't process that. Because I imagine like a yeah, dude it's, in a it's, suit <laughs> with guns and like. It's not John Wick now. Yeah, it's, it's not. <laughs> so. June 9th, 1912, Lena and Inna Stillinger are the daughters and jo- of Joseph and Sarah Stillinger. And the Stillingers are going to church on an early Sunday morning. They plan on having dinner with their grandmother after the morning service and spending the afternoon with her and then returning to their home to spend the night at the children's day exercises concluded. The girls, however, decide to sleep over at a friend's house, the Moors. Okay. Uh, so the Moors are residents, and so the two girls come over. The Moors have four children of their own. Now, you said the Moors are their neighbors, or are they friends, or what was the... Or they're friends, they're townsfolk. Okay, they go okay. to the same church. So after this morning mass, it was yeah. a children's mass, the two kids go over, the two daughters decide to sleep over the Moors' house. The Moors have four children of their own. Okay. And so... So we're at six children. Yes. Okay. So this is a Sunday... The Children's Day program of the Presbyterian Church is so an annual like, event. It's like CCD. Yeah, it's an annual event. Oh, but it's once a year. Okay. So it starts at 8 p.m. on Sunday night, June 9th. According to witnesses, Sarah Moore coordinated all the exercises. All of the Moore children, as well as the Stillinger girls, participated. When we say exercises, do we mean like... We're not talking like like Zumba, right? We're talking like... Uh, religious yeah, like Christian stuff okay. like making cut out to like, Jesus. Okay, you're all gonna drop and give me thirty push-ups <laughs> right now. Stillinger ran that shit. <laughs> Just a boot camp. The program ended at nine thirty p.m. and the Moore family, along with the Stillinger sisters, walk home from church. They entered their home sometime between nine forty-five and ten p.m. and went to sleep. Okay. The following morning, at five a.m., Mary Peckham, the Moore's next door's neighbor, stepped into her yard to hang her laundry. She does this until 7 a.m. when she realizes that no one had actually come out of the house. Wait, wait, wait. She started when? 5 a.m. She was she, hanging laundry for two hours? She's outside for two, right, two number hours. number one suspect. Nobody does that <laughs> shit. Are you kidding me? It's 1912. There's no I washing machine. I mean, I get that there's no washing machine, but <laughs> like, dryer. god damn, two hours. Could you imagine? So that's a long time to do anything. Yeah. Let's do another hour and 45 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hang laundry and do an audio. <laughs> that would be a good podcast. So 7 a.m., uh, Mrs. Peckham realizes that no one's come out of the house. And so this is 1912 Iowa. So that's weird. Okay. Whereas if someone like called the cops every time I, no one came out of my house at 7 a.m., <laughs> I'd be like, dude, stop fucking calling yeah, the I'd cops. I'd be like, I'm please, sleeping. I'm sleeping. I work <laughs> night shift. 
but since it's 1912, they have to like go outside and do all the chores and hang their laundry for three hours and <laughs> do all the crap. Right. Yeah. Especially all, if you have four kids. Imagine yeah. how long it takes to hang laundry. I'm so glad we don't live in 1912. Yeah. Life is rad. Life is sick. We can buy tech deck dudes. <laughs> so many tech deck dudes. But at the house itself seems unusually still, she described. Between 7 and 8 a.m., Mary Peckham approached the house and knocked on the door. No one responded. Mm. She attempted to open the door, but could only find that it was locked from the inside. After letting out the Moore's chickens, so she was being a homie, Mary placed a call to <laughs> Josiah's brother, Ross Moore, setting into place one of the most mismanaged murder investigations ever. <laughs> oh, I'm excited for this. We've covered some mismanagement. Yeah. It's I so funny. To- Our number one thing we do on this podcast is like criticize law enforcement. <laughs> you know what's funny? Even more one, funny is that... One person's going to write and be like, hey, dickhead, it's not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fucking get caught. <laughs> on twi- yeah, that's true. Yeah. On t- <laughs> hey, they're really trying to not make it easy. And we're going to backpedal so hard. Be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, um, shout out to uh, at coplovers69 for... Uh, <laughs> donate my piggy bank. <laughs> Um, on Twitter, I see a lot of people whenever, like I look in like podcast stuff, everyone's like, I just need to find a podcast that doesn't, that that will like criticize police for their shoddy work. And I'm like, uh, (laughs) keep walking. Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, wait, they don't want that. They, they're, they're saying we, no, they're saying they're like us where they're like, Hey, why are there so many that are glorifying police work? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure every podcast I've ever listened to has always been like, this is not great. Yeah. Also it's 1912. So I'm sure it's very, so police work is literally just a guy like walking by flipping yeah. a coin like, Oh, what happened here? The guy with the camera's taking three hours to take the picture. And just like, <laughs> <laughs> Huge flash. It's blind. Yeah. And then they look at it later in a police office and they're like, well, well, there's no color in this picture. Is that blood? <laughs> I spilt chocolate syrup all over the crime scene, unfortunately. We're all old Southern gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> they have all like old timey names, yeah. like one's named Curly and like Jebediah. Anyway, so. Based on the testimonies of old Mary Peckham. And those who saw the moors at the Children's Day exercise, it is believed that sometime between midnight and 5 a.m., an unknown assailant had entered the home of J.B. Moore. J.B. Moore is a strong name, by the way. J.B. Moore, it reminds me of um, uh, W.B. Mason. It does. Or... Which is also a strong name. L. Cool J. Or uh, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> or L. Ron Cool J. Or George R.R. Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a crossover. J-R-R-R-R Cool J. I would listen to the Game of Thrones book on tape if it was LL Cool J. LL Cool J. It was George LL Cool J. But someone had entered the home of J.B. Moore and brutally murdered all occupants of the house with an axe. Oh, okay, good. This is how it always goes. <laughs> right. So Ross Moore, who she she told Ross, old Ross, that's uh, oh, J.B. Moore's friends, brother. This is like friends. Yeah. We got Ross. So Rachel Phoebe Moore. told Ross, and so Ross went over to the apartment. <laughs> And the chicken and duck weren't fed. (laughs) Mm. Upon arriving at the home of his brother, Ross Moore attempted to look into the bedroom window and then knocked on the door and shouted, attempting to raise someone inside the house. When that failed, he produced his keys. Don't know why he didn't just do keys first at this point. Interesting. And found one that opened the door. Although Mrs. Peckham followed him into the porch, she did not enter the parlor. That's an old ass word. All right. Yeah, that's true. It's not a foyer. It's a parlor. Yeah, it's a parlor. Okay. And P- Miss Miss Peckham got Ross Moore, right? Yeah, so okay. she's the neighbor, and she gets the brother of yep. J.B. Moore, the uncle of the kids. Okay. So Uncle Ross is over. 
Ross went no farther than the room off the parlor. Okay. Which was a bedroom. He opened the bedroom door. He saw two bodies on the bed and dark stains on the bedclothes. Oof. He returned immediately to the porch and told Mrs. Peckham to call the county sheriff. The two bodies in the room downstairs were Lena Stillinger, one of the friends that came over, age 12, and her sister Ina, the Uh, other friend that came over, age 8. That's Dude, that sucks. The remaining member of the Moore family were found in the upstairs bedrooms by City Marshal Hank Horton, who arrived shortly. Hank Horton. Every person in the house had been brutally murdered, their skulls crushed as they slept. Josiah Moore, age 43, Sarah Montgomery Moore, age 39, Herman Moore, age 11, Catherine Moore, age 9, Boyd Moore, age 7, and Paul Moore, age 5. So somebody went and murdered everybody with an object with like blows to the head and nobody like like silently or so it appears that no one awoke that's nuts they were all killed in their sleep jesus the crime scene was a mess (laughs) yeah i can imagine so the cops obviously left to go get backup because this was a mess because yep. it was just one dude that showed up and was like, holy fuck. And this must be like a small town thing where obviously you're not getting eight people yeah, no, you killed gotta, in a... Yeah, yeah so... You got to get like a municipal probably in, body from a larger area to come clean it up. And, yeah. In in like police searches defense, it's usually gets... It's the worst uh, versions of this that we see is usually when it is like a small town that is not used to having any kind of homicide. Yeah. So it's like, and this would like, this would rock like a city. Oh yeah. Let alone yeah. a small yeah, town. Right. Yeah, especially just some random Iowa town in 1912 or, and not having any leads. Yeah. That's, and no way to like, literally the only way they had to get, gather evidence was like, if you didn't say anything, like how it's so hard for people to figure out who did it back in 1912. Yeah, exactly. You, and it's like, People can just like go blow in no town forensics. to town, like yeah, exactly. No records, right? They're like you pay for everything in cash, so it's not like there's any kind of paper trail, right? You just need to rely on like the store clerk being like, "Yeah, I saw a guy. <laughs> he had a weird look in his eye. Yeah, a man with <laughs> a funny just, demeanor came through here, yeah. and you're like, okay, it's probably this guy. It's a business owner that's like, I didn't recognize him. They're like, it's him. <laughs> we, fa- we found him. <laughs> a guy just, no one recognized. Just, <laughs> what do you mean? Justice served. <laughs> so. Where this really went to shit as far as solving the crime, word got out. I've heard, I've read that like people say that a cop told someone that he mm, shouldn't have loose lips while he was going exactly, and word got around because it's a small town, and basically neighbors and curious onlookers just all like engulfed the house, came in, like well, went they, into went the into house, the going scene? into the bedrooms to look at stuff what and like look f- around, and they were gawking at the bodies and like so finally the Velisca. Velisca National Guard arrived. Is that That's right? Probably like the, they have no National Guard. It's probably like a militia thing of being. Like, I feel it's like. 10 dudes in their 50s. Yeah, yeah, they're like, hey, we're the National Guard slash softball team. We're, <laughs> we're also the fire department. <laughs> they finally arrived at noon and cordoned off the area and secured the home. But like, there'd already been tons of people in yeah, there. At that point, like, it's, touching it's, everything and yeah. like leaving their DNA. Well, I guess DNA is not a factor back then, but like. No, at like, that point, it's. it's touching it's, shit. It's all it's all garbage so the facts regarding the scene of the crime let's go over the facts listeners i got so i'm of course at monday morning macabre headquarters and we have yep. a giant cork board with all the facts <laughs> laid out so try to stay with it yeah it's try like, to stay with, there's a lot of strings that are attached to pins in a map yeah, it's pepe sylvia yeah <laughs> <laughs> eight people were bludgeoned to death presumably with an axe left at the crime scene so the, they have they the murder weapon just left it like oh mm-hmm. man I actually heard it was like, why were Mac axe murders so prolific in the early 20th century? Because there's a lot of them. 
Is it because there's axes everywhere? And people were like, it's an epidemic. Yeah, it's just because every yeah, house had an, had an axe in it, so yeah. it was really easy. Right. And I was yeah, like, oh, that's not nearly as no. fun as just being like, the demon patron yeah, yeah, saint yeah, of yeah. axe murdering came to town. The zeitgeist of the time <laughs> was controlled by an yeah. axe-wielding murderous demon. <laughs> exactly. It appeared that all were asleep when they were murdered, like I said. Yep. Doctors estimated the time of death as somewhere shortly after midnight. Curtains were drawn on all the windows in the house except two, which had no curtains. Those windows were covered with clothing belonging to the Moors. Were any cl- were any windows open, left open, you know, anything? No. And they were all shut, like with curtains, like closed. Yeah. All the victims' faces were covered with bedcloths after they were killed. Okay. A kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of Josiah and Sarah, the parents. The chimney was off and the wick had been turned back. The chimney was found under the dresser. The chimney, the chimney was, found was found under the dresser. Yeah, I mean, it's a word for a type of lamp. Yeah, it must heater. be. It must be like the the some kind of part of the lamp that. Nineteen twelve, man. <laughs> You mean the iPhone 7's flashlight was found underneath (laughs) the... (laughs) The axe was found in the room occupied by the Stillinger girls who were staying the night as friends. It was bloody, but an attempt had been made to wipe it off, and the axe belonged to Josiah Moore. So they found out that the axe was the house's axe. It doesn't even matter. It's not like someone brought the axe. It's not like someone brought an axe, and the person didn't even have to attempt to wipe the blood off. There's no forensics. They have no... like. There's nothing they can do. The ceilings in the parents' bedroom and the children's room showed gouge marks, meaning that the person swinging the axe swung it over their head. Okay. Piece of a keychain was found on the floor in the downstairs bedroom. A pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table, as well as a plate of uneaten food. So it's like the person washed uh, their hands and was going to eat something. Ah, uh, that's so creepy. That's always the creepiest is when it's like the person stayed in the house for a whole day after the incident, like with like Hinter Kaifek, where it's yeah, like you just this got, is very Hinter Kaifek. Yeah, it's very 1912 Hinter Kaifek. All of the doors were locked, so they locked as they left, whoever it was. And well, that's kind. Yeah. <laughs> Real nice. The bodies of Lena and Ayla Stillinger were found in the downstairs bedroom off of the parlor, like we mentioned. Ina was sleeping closest to the wall with Lena on her right side. A gray coat had covered her face. Lena, according to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, lay as though she had kicked out one foot of the bed sideways with one hand up under the pillow on her right side. So basically, like... Her lower body was hanging out of the bed. Yeah, okay. She was. Uh, her nightgown was slit up, and she was wearing no undergarments. Uh, so you're going to put two and two together. Yeah, right? that's... There was a blood stain on the side of her right knee, what the doctors assumed was a defensive wound on her arm. So she lived after the first strike, is what they're telling me. <laughs> a defensive wound. Not good. He also said that there was a slab of bacon on the floor in the downstairs bedroom lying near the axe, wrapped in, like, a dish towel. And then another slab of bacon was found what in the, the icebox. In the Xbox? In the, in the drive of the X. No, in the icebox. Okay. <laughs> you fucking ruined their Xbox, dude. <laughs> Linquist also made note of one of Sarah's shoes, which he found on Josiah's side of the bed. The shoe was found on its side. However, it had blood inside as well as under it. So it's likely that the killer returned after the first blows, came back, and kick the shoes around like move the shoes somehow okay so based on like the wounds to josiah and sarah yeah there's evidence and like blood dripping and like stuff like that he killed them left that room might have killed other ones or did something and then came back to continue like chopping up their head jesus christ 
Um, most of the people weren't like recognizable. And a lot of it looks like was done with the blunt side of the axe. Uh, right. Like, why would you, I mean, that makes no sense to me. No. Oh, okay. So this person it's was like a sick. Yeah. Right. A sick thing. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. to have that level of detail for something like this. Yeah. So yeah, obviously a small town is going to be rocked by something like this and rumors start to fly. Start to fly. Start to fly. (laughs) Rumors. And we get suspects. Who we got? Let's go to our first suspect. I'm fascinated to hear how they came up with these. State Senator Frank Jones. Frank Jones. So Josiah Moore... Yep. The father of the household who was killed worked for Frank Jones at the Jones store. You know, the Jones store. Yeah, Jones store. They sell horses, knickknacks, clothes, general items. Now, Josiah Moore left and opened his own company in 1908, which was a competing company okay, so to that's- old Frankie J. According to Velisca residents, Jones was extremely upset that Moore left his employment and managed to take the very lucrative John Deere franchise to his store. I'm going to be if, okay. It cost him a lot of money. I know this is unassolved, but if this is dude is just if this is just like a petty like business, business murder, what a f- right. So a, in today's time it doesn't hold water. It also doesn't fit like the sick the sicko yeah, kind of be, aspect. There's to it. definitely an angle would, of it you'd where you'd go yeah. in, you'd kill the guy, yeah. you wouldn't murder two kids that aren't even his. Like, and yeah, yeah. There's definitely like a sadistic. Although there's more. Rumor was that Moore had an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, Dona. <laughs> Her name was Dona. D O N A. Donna. 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 It's definitely Donna. <laughs> you need another end in there, <laughs> uh, Mister Moore or Mister? Wait, was it Moore <laughs> Mr. Jones? F- Mister Frankie Jones? Mister Jones, sir, you need an, uh, another end in there. Which further fanned flames of them hating each other. <laughs> Detective Wilkerson of the Burns Detective Agency openly accused Frank and his son Albert of hiring someone named William Mansfield to kill Joe Moore. Neither Jones was arrested ever and both denied vehemently any connection to the murder. So, that brings us to that man himself, the hitman. William Blackie Mansfield. That's a sick name. William Mansfield was from Blue Island, Illinois, and he was the prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency who was on the case. It's also wicked cool that they just were like, we've got a, like, there's a detective agency on the case. It's not just like the New York Police Department. Like, you're like, oh, we hired Burns Detective Agency. And they have to like go in and be like, (laughs) they went straight to the top. (laughs) Mansfield was also known as George Worley and or Jack Turnbaugh. These are alternate identities, I assume, that he has used through his hitmanning? Yep. Detective James Newton Wilkerson was on the case. He believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of uh, his wife, infant child, and father-in-law. So Wilkerson's Wait, own... this dude's part... Like, he has history with... Wilkerson's own wife, infant child, and father-in-law, and mother-in-law were just... all killed by an axe murder. That's So they're nuts. like, I think it's him. That's wicked sick, actually. Yeah. That's, that's like some Hannibal Lecter shit. Mm-hmm. Four days before Velisca murders and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Colorado. So they there's a whole chain of murders that they're trying to pin on this guy. Okay. William Blackie Mansfield. Yep. According to the Wilkerson investigation, all the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating the same man committed them. A little modus operandi. 
Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of these places on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe and the mirrors in the homes were covered. Wait. Like he couldn't look at himself, so he covered all the mirrors? In all of these instances, these mirrors were covered? Yep. Okay, this is the guy. (laughs) And there was a burning lamp with a chimney off that was left at the foot of a bed of each victim. Okay, I am 100% convinced now. You well, you have no proof he did any of these, let alone one of them. Oh, oh, I thought like they were on. I thought they were chasing down this dude because they knew he committed one or the no, other. No, no, no. Okay. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to an open investigation in 1916. Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Unfortunately, his alibi was airtight. Damn. Well, I guess unfor- that's not unfortunately. It's fortunately an yeah. innocent man didn't go to prison, but... So there We're is a definitely serial- death row for this. <laughs> okay, yeah. So there is a serial killer out there. With right. The same so MO that's the big through- question here. We're going more uh, from Villisca, Iowa. There's a bigger picture that's being painted here. Okay, so that to me kind of rules out the uh, Frank Jones. Right. That okay. Which is why they were never arrested or indicted. That makes sense. But he does have a motive. So when I say like, sure, you know, you you build yeah. a list and then yeah, you yeah, write yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's understandable. So like this. This guy had a list, and but he had an airtight payroll records that he was uh, in Illinois at the time of the murders. Because back then, you went and picked up your payroll right, stuff. Right, you had to, yeah. So, like, he had to be there. Yep. He was released for lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against the detective agency Damn. and was awarded $2,225, which is a yeah, pretty back penny then a back lot, then. Yeah. Wilkerson believed that the pressure from Jones, the senator, resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of one Reverend Kelly. I can believe it's a Reverend. Turns out a lot of Reverends are not great guys. Yeah. So I can totally believe that. Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly is arrested in 1917. Okay. What do they got on him? Give me the dirt. Reverend George Kelly was a traveling preacher. Kelly and his wife settled in Macedonia, Iowa. And in 1912, after several years of preaching throughout the Midwest... In 1970, Kelly was arrested and charged with the 1917? murder. 1917? 1917. Yeah, so five years after the murder. Okay. Kelly is arrested. Kelly was invited to attend the Children's Day exercise at the Presbyterian Church that night. So he was there. Oh, and he is traveling. Night. So that is, yep. that explains a a route, a, a bunch of people getting killed all over the place. He also had like a reputation, I think. He also had an amputated arm that he replaced with an axe. Uh, <laughs> and he would swing around saying, come here kids <laughs> he's going no. to get you in the night it's me reverend kelly kelly was english born and he was traveling through town the night of the murder as an adult he's been accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him uh, he even tried to hire a girl and he said like she could have the job but she'd have to be like a secretary type thing but she wouldn't be allowed to wear clothes what the fuck dude reverence please <laughs> like even back then, just one. God damn. In the weeks that followed the murder, he even displayed a innate fascination with the case and wrote a ton of letters to police and investigators. Like, he was obsessed, like, with this Wait, this murder. was, this was this when he was arrested, Kelly. or this is after it happened? No, this is after, because he was arrested five years after. Yeah, yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah. the weeks immediately after, in 1912, he was, like, fascinated. He's All calling right. police to ask about details. Yeah, this guy seems like a real... Yeah, I mean, that's classic murderer move is put yourself back into the, like, investigation in some way. Or, like, go back to the scene and see what's going on when they're investigating. Right. So, Kelly, obviously a dude, like, 
weird dude. He reportedly had mental breakdowns and like illnesses and stuff, and obviously was an insane person to be a reverend and ask women to yeah, crazy person. So when he calls and asks uh, about all these details and stuff, he's trying to get like involved in the case. Yeah, which is which is classic murderer move. It aroused suspicion and. A private investigator. Oh, private baby. investigators are all over I the place I love the PIs. It'd look better for them if they solved anything. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so a private investigator looked at all this mail and was like, what the fuck? And like <laughs> wrote back to Reverend Kelly and asked for details and was like, do you know anything about the murder? Kelly replied with great detail and said that he'd heard sounds oh, and Jesus. even witnessed the murders. All right. Yeah, this dude's a... F- all right. God, dude, fuck this guy. <laughs> so they're like, that's... a." How would you have all the like? <laughs> yeah. How do you so, know all these things? He's like, I, I it was know. pretty well known by the police at this time that he was a crazy person and had mental illnesses and stuff. And so, not to say I'm gonna get blasted for saying mental illness is crazy. They're different. This dude's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna say mental illness anymore. This guy is off this fucking rocker. But his known history made authorities question whether he knew the details because of having done the murders himself. Or if he was or just imagining it to like insert himself and be like oh, part of it. To 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 fuel his uh inner wackadoo. Yeah. So then we go back later to nineteen fourteen, two years after the murder. Kelly gets arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. So I think pictures <laughs> of it I think dick pics really. Yeah, this is this is the OG DP. And he was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, a mental hospital in Washington, DC. Could you imagine today if somebody sent someone else a dick pic and then they were thrown into a mental institution snapchat would be full of just mental people. insane people yeah. <laughs> and they're all like reverence <laughs> <laughs> and so they arrest him they interrogate him he confesses to the murder great how do they botch it i, I it seems like it's been pretty solid so far none of what he confesses makes sense unfortunately and he made a mockery of law enforcement practices at the time. It was had withdrawn any kind of confession before the trial actually started. So he's like, I did it. Here's what I did. And JK. they're like, you definitely admitted to it, but it doesn't make a ton of sense what you're saying. And then by the time the trial happened, he said that he recanted any confession. Two trials occurred. You're an asshole. And he was acquitted. Regardless of if he did do it or did not do it, he is an asshole. We can confirm. Yep. According to information presented by Kelly and Tammy Rundle, I don't know who that is. Oh, no, they're historians. Kelly moved to Kansas City, Connecticut. Apparently, there's a Kansas City, Connecticut. Okay. Nope. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Kansas City, comma, Connecticut, and finally, New York City. That's a list. <laughs> Dude, you don't do cities and then a state and then a city. Come on. <laughs> Come on. This guy's Where trying to get me. Come on. That's a gotcha sentence, and I will not stand for it. But... The last years of his life and his final burial spot, no one knows. He Okay. He's just gone. He's just gone. Sick. Next up, we have our serial killer. There existed a strong possibility that a serial killer was actually at work. In Wilkerson's case before against Mansfield, even though Mansfield was not the guy, a lot of the evidence points to a serial killer that they uncovered. Right, right, yeah. Like you said. Yeah, there's all over the similar, place. Similar like, MO. Insane amount of similarities. The bacon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... Dude, the bacon's gross. Wait, is the bacon so, at every single crime scene? So what they think happened was, you know how he pulled the girls' yeah, yeah, dresses yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't actually physically uh, do anything, but he used the bacon okay. for oh. getting his jollies off. Oh, what the fuck? 
like he made the first okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so that's another thing that you can tell it's a wacko with yeah weird like i guess he has rules like he has like a some some for some reason the standards stop there (laughs) yeah this got what the fuck yep (laughs) i don't like this at all nope it's pretty grisly happy monday it's pretty macabre (laughs) listeners mw mcclurry a federal officer assigned to the Velisca case. So he comes in. He's like, this is my crime scene now. He actually announced in May of 1913 that he had solved not only the Velisca murders, right, but 22 guy. others that had been committed in the Midwest around the same time frame. Cool dude alert. Just, yeah, uh, I, did, I saw the- I think it's McClawfrey. McClawherty? McClawherty's. McClawherty. McClawherty's theory was that Henry Moore... No relation to Josiah Moore, just happened to have the same name, was the actual serial killer responsible for every single crime. Okay. Who is Henry Moore? Henry Moore was actually convicted of the murders of his mother and maternal grandmother in Columbia, Missouri, months after the murders in Villisca. Moore's family's members were killed just as brutally as the victims of Villisca, and guess what he used? Bacon. (laughs) (laughs) An axe. (laughs) That'd be a laugh track moment right there. (laughs) So who the fuck was old Henny Moores? Henry Lee Moore was born November 1st, 1874 in Boone County, Missouri. Boone County? Boone County. He was the eldest son of Enoch and Georgia Ann Wilson Moore. That's 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 too many fucking names. That's the names right there. You gotta chill out with that. There were three other sons born from the couple. That's a weird sentence. Henry's father was a farmer and served in the Civil War. I bet he was on the South. His mother was a nurse. <laughs> Two of Henry's brothers, as well as his father, passed away before 1910. Henry's remaining brother, Charles, died in 1960 in Stockton, California. That dude was fucking old. <laughs> Get old, bro. In 1900, Henry was living with a family in Franklin County, Iowa, and working as a farmhand. It is suspected that Henry may have fathered a child with a young daughter of the farmers. Henry was sentenced to the Kansas State reformatory what a name for a prison reformatory yeah reformatory uh how do you reform us oh we beat the shit out of you in the yard (laughs) you don't get anything not even food (laughs) you don't get sunlight that's how we reform you (laughs) in hutchinson kansas on a forgery charge and released on april 11th 1911 the murders in colorado springs occurred in september of the same year so people get killed with an axe in colorado spring classic Testimony during Henry's trial for this indicated that he had lived with his mother and grandmother during the winter of 1911 and the summer of 1912, and he had left to take a job on the railroad. On the road again. So, his mom and his his grandmother are killed in Colorado Springs. This guy's brought to trial and sentenced for it. Yep. He served 36 years of a life sentence Jesus. before being paroled by the governor of Missouri. Oh, boy. I thought, I thought they'd be harder on this kind yeah, of stuff before then. What the fuck? The governor commuted his sentence on July 30th, 1956. Henry Moore was 82 years old and had been living in the Salvation Army Center in St. Louis. It is unknown whether he died or whether he was living at the time. Oh, no. It's not whether he died or where he was living at this time. Okay. So wait, wait, wait. when he got out of prison, how old was he? 36 years uh he was he wasn't 82 when he got out yeah he was oh he was no no because this the timeline does not the governor <laughs> no, no no he got out 36 years later at nine in 1949 
Okay. Then so how the governor he... commuted his sentence, so like got rid of it entirely, not just on parole. Okay, but how how in would he be? How he would he 82? be able to kill people in 1912 if he was? Yeah. So he the murders were committed uh, prior to him going to prison. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Just months before the murder of yep. Yep. Velisca, Iowa. Gotcha. During the Velisca investigation, other axe murders also came to light. Like people are just starting to put these together. Nine months before Villisca, Iowa happens. So nine months before June, whatever. I'm not doing the math. H.C. Wayne and his wife and child and Mrs. A.J. Burnham and her two children are all bludgeoned to death with an axe, also in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Gotcha. A month later, in October of 1911, a family in Monmouth, Illinois, is also bludgeoned to death with an axe murder. Okay, so just a bunch of axe murders happening all over the place at this time. Yep. A week later, five members of another family in Ellsworth, Kansas, are murdered as they're sleeping. Just a week before the Moors in Villisca, a man and his wife are killed in Paolo, Kansas. Huh. The similarities of all crimes are striking. Okay. McClory received information about Moore's conviction from his father, who was the warden of the Leavenworth, Kansas Federal Penitentiary at the time. It's believed that Mr. Henry Moore had committed all of these murders. For whatever reason, McClurry's announcement was largely ignored, and to our knowledge, Henry Moore was never actually convicted of any crimes besides the one of his grandmother and mother that he got out for. Did they ever get, like, did they interrogate him? Did they talk to this guy or anything? Or I don't think they knew where he was, because no one would listen to the McClurry. Interesting. So, this guy, essentially, to, to sum up, that was a lot of stuff going on. Right. So, there's five families murdered. A lot of okay. people. This guy gets sentenced for one, only does 36 years, gets out, and lives free, man. Okay. So, and they all have similar MO as to the, the, the murder he was charged for? All of them. Interesting. So, all these cases are together. So, here we have a man that it looks like he might be our guy. Right. But he is never punished tried and even gets out of jail and lives a free rest of his life after this and who knows so who, what he did else and ultimately we don't know who the final it's unsolved right so we don't have any way of knowing although this i mean every time you brought up a new person i was like okay that sounds more and more and more like the what the prime suspect would be the reverend is an interesting one it is very interesting he, that that is kind of red herringy where it's like this is just an insane person yeah, he, he admitted it, stuff. but it's also like there's no evidence. Right. He's, besides the fact that he's a crazy person, which is just as much damning of evidence as That's it true. is supporting. But also like it, the I find the covering of the mirror is very interesting. It is very interesting. Like that shows so much about like the character of the individual who perpetrated the crimes. Like they can't look at themselves like yeah, they're almost yeah, right. regretful. Not regretful, but they can't see themselves doing it. Yeah, it's like they go into like a like, state that they get out of if they see themselves, which could lend itself to a crazy person. Yes. So I mean that that adds up, and the mass murdering thing, it sucks that there were so many axes lying around everywhere at the time. Dude, every house had one like, in it. Yeah. So it, it it could just be the convenience on s- several different instances. Like another piece of evidence is all the towns that have these murders all 25 murders took place along the same railroad route oh so it is feasible that someone could hop a train and hit all these towns within that short amount of time do we know how these individuals are traveling because if like the the they're all at home 
What do you mean? No, I'm saying like the uh, okay, so like the the preacher guy. He's mm-hmm. a traveling preacher, right? Is he traveling with his like wagon and his like bunch of funky trinkets that he? It doesn't you know? say. Yeah, because that would be interesting. Because that the railroad thing makes me think the mass murderer because he wouldn't have any way of getting around. Whereas if you're a traveling reverend, I have to assume you have some form of travel. I don't know. If that's like your only gig. It's 1912, man. Like I can't. That's even, true. What is the, like two people have a car at this point. Yeah, I'm not thinking car, but <laughs> in I'm the like world, some kind of like personal transportation or yeah, like a horse, horse buggy or something. Probably, and that's like a like that's not easy terrain to go from. Right. Like there's mountains and shit between. Yeah. Illinois and Iowa. So we know a guy was jumping trains, killing people. Do we know though? It's, I mean, I that's mean, there's a lot of evidence that lends itself to that. Yeah. Let's put it into our Monday There's morning macabre uh, murder simulator bot. It's spitting out a large piece of printer paper with holes on each side. <laughs> yep. A uh, bunch of uh, lines drawn like a seismograph. Mm, yes. Yes. Mm, Let's, uh, I'm going to rip it up. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, I'm going to put it into this beaker here. Oh, it's turning green. We know who it is. <laughs> we know who it is. And okay. it, it. Just end the, end the episode. <laughs> Just music plays. But 25 axe victims, like, never get a an official yeah, person. Uh, and it, it, it really speaks to how far forensics have come. Yeah, that's true. I was and just say. how interconnect, how, like, Sometimes really good it is that the world's interconnected and everyone's on their phones and there's video I cameras mean, it's everywhere. It's 100% <laughs> better now than it was in 1912. They would have got this guy like, oh, in months. The bacon would have been GG. Dude, have you seen Don't Fuck With Cats? This yeah. guy would be <laughs> done. It would have been game yeah, over. Well, yeah, first of all, you would yeah. have found the DNA on the bacon. Yeah, bacon DNA, plus they left the axe there with blood on it, which yeah. probably had some kind of fiber, etc. Definitely, and he he left a bowl of water that with his blood in it. <laughs> or no, okay, yeah, no, I guess it wouldn't be his blood, it but prob- it probably it, would have his DNA on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was other things in the place. So And the fact that like communication and policing so disconnected like between municipalities at this time. Yeah. Like they don't really work together as well. And so, like, McClary, like, had it. He was like, it's definitely this guy. And just no one listened to him. So this guy got to go free. And also, no one knows where he went. Yeah. It's just like you could just be like, oh, I'm gone. Yeah, it seems... It's definitely like that... I, I If I had to bet money, I'd probably say the wandering uh, murderer. But yeah. <laughs> that I seems, mean... That seems, that yeah. seems pretty much on, on brand. Especially guy. a guy who has killed before and is for some reason yeah. paroled. I don't know if yeah, that's that makes me suspicious that there might be more to that story. Why he would go on parole for murdering? Maybe it's the clue theory, dude. The senator got him on parole because he committed the murder, so the senator could get that business going again. And then the reverend was there to be a red herring, and it all connects. Oh my god! And a train <laughs> whistle just went off, which is uh, apropos. That is apropos. I live very close to a train station. And then there's actually even more. We don't have time to talk about, but there's more suspects. God damn. Include that goes so far as Joe Ricks, Joe uh, Rogan, <laughs> the niece of the Moors, and then they got like tons of mail. Feliska had oh, a chance sure they, they got yeah. tons of mail from people already in prison admitting to doing Which is, the yeah, thing. That's just people being assholes, I feel yep, like. And insane and like I don't know, I guess if you're on death row you want to be remembered for something? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's pretty gruesome stuff, very reminiscent of Hendrick High Effect, and just the thought of eight people, yeah. 25 really, but in this specific location, eight people 
two girls who just slept over and most of the victims kids mm. under the age of 12 yeah that's that's dark that's macabre Big shout out and thank you to VelliscaIowa.com. Uh, great resource. Someone really compiled a lot of stuff here that included the events, the suspects, and just like a, they even have a virtual tour on here. Oh, so you can visit that out if you're fun. really interested. Uh, we can link that on. That's how our you. Website. That's how desperate they are for having something touristy. Yeah, but I mean, at least like the the town, I guess, really kind of you know how small towns do yeah, when they, something like this happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big deal. And then a hundred I mean, years later, it starts happening again. Yeah. Again. Oh my god. Again. So, thank you. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks listeners. for stopping by the Monday morning macabre headquarters. Headquarters. It's actually uh, a big haunted house. <laughs> Our secretary is a giant spider. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to rate, review, tell your friends, do all that good stuff. We appreciate. Yes. We appreciate you guys uh, reaching out and interacting with us it's super cool that we're growing and people are sending us cool stuff and liking the show the tattoo is so sick tattoo is super <laughs> sick we're still like talking still about in that shock uh super cool and find us anywhere you get podcasts and visit www.mondaymorningmacabre.com for Do more it. and have a good monday boy boy <laughs>